I know the governor is pushing to require all school districts to use the science of reading as a basis for their instruction and purchasing of materials. Akron Public Schools had started this transition at the beginning of the school year, but I do want to say that the standards in English language arts, particularly in Ohio, but also the Common Core standards that were created, always had the foundational skills of phonics in them. So kids should have been learning that. What happened was when certain materials were used, there was a focus on strategies that moved kids away from decoding and using those rules around phonics, reading, and spelling development for decoding. And so some schools didn't really use a phonics program that was systematic and explicit. So through that transition, our teachers came together and we ran focus groups. My English language arts person was able to meet with teachers and principals and vendors and really go through the materials that are out there and the, the choices were made by teachers. So the recommendation came from that group to purchase the materials that do include the strong foundational skill block, which is based on the science of reading. So for people who really don't know a lot about the way that reading is taught, I mean, they might remember how it was when they were a kid. When I was a kid, we used phonics. But as I understand it, in years between when you know, the dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was a kid and now, that there were some other methods. And I wonder if you could explain what those are. How are they different from phonics? The basic difference is that the other methods really focused on reading by sight and using clues that were not phonics-based. So phonics really teaches you the sounds that letters make, the rules around the spelling and reading of sounds and letters when they're put together. And it takes you through that developmental sequence and the syllables in words. It's very explicit. The English language is actually difficult to learn because there are so many rules and exceptions to those rules when it comes to reading and spelling. And the other theory was based on mostly sight using picture clues, using beginning sound clues. It just was not going in that systematic direction of applying the rules around reading. I see. So if I was looking at a book and looking at the words, the idea is that I would infer the meaning Mm-hmm. of a word and perhaps how to pronounce it by what was around it? Yeah, that kind of. So in the early years when kids are becoming young, early readers, the books are really based on the level of reading. And so in the early levels, they are encouraged to use the pictures on the page and the beginning sound of the letter to figure out what that word is. And so phonics teaches students to decode properly by letter, by sound, regardless of the picture or the context. And so the idea is that you can read the words regardless of the situation. I see. Well, you know, for me, in the job that I have, every day I'm writing myself scripts that I use on the air. And there are often words in there that are hard to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Some days I do better than others. Right. Uh, but phonics really, over my years of broadcasting, has really saved my bacon all along the way because I can just kind of sound out the word and figure out how it's pronounced. The only ones that are really, really hard are names that are not necessarily based in English. So for example, like a Chinese name or a Spanish name or Portuguese name, something like that is hard if you're just looking at the words and trying to sound it out phonetically. Right. You know, those languages have different rules to go by. Yes, you're right. Because when we've taught the the rules of sounding out words 
in a developmental progression, we're able to apply that to syllables. So even when you're given a large word or a word that could be difficult, your brain is able to break that down and apply the skills that you know. And so that gives you the word attack ability to take on new words and decode text that may not be familiar to you. So in the previous strategies around teaching literacy, a lot of the reliance was upon familiarity of text and words and seeing words over and over again. And now the idea is that kids have the skills to attack any word like you just described. So if I'm a fourth grader and I start to be able to use bigger words and, and particularly in other content areas, it gets more difficult. And so I have to be able to apply those skills based on the syllables, even in those words. You probably have heard in K to three, it's referred to as learning to read. And then once you get to four, five and six, even it's, it's reading to learn. And so you're, you're able to apply those skills learned to read in context. And as you can imagine, the higher you get in grade level, the harder the vocabulary, academic vocabulary becomes. And so when kids start to learn science and social studies topics that are difficult, the words are hard. And so the idea is to prepare our kids so that they can decode, because if they can decode and be fluent readers, then they can understand. Most children, it's the fluency that impacts the comprehension. I see. And as I understand it, the studies show that if you don't really get a good grasp of learning, what, by the third grade, that mm -hmm. you're going to have a worse outcome overall in terms of education and even perhaps career attainment. I wonder if we could talk about that for a moment. That's definitely true. And it's easier to close that gap early on, which is the, that's the push for early intervention. Because if you have kindergartners or first graders who are considered off track, maybe they don't know the letter sounds they're supposed to know. It's easier to fill that gap at kindergarten or first grade level than wait to third grade level when the gap gets wider. So a lot of times you can, for example, you would have a, a child moving on to third grade who still performs at a kindergarten level. So you see, you have to make up kindergarten, first, second grade reading skills in order to be successful with third grade text. So the longer we wait, the harder it becomes and the wider that gap is. And so kids have less of a chance of catching up because it takes more time to give them the intervention that they need systematically to catch them up. It doesn't just happen with a magic wand. And so when you lose time and instruction, you have to increase the time and the intense teaching of that systematic phonics. I've also heard that one of the key factors in a child's ability to learn to read and learn to read well and then to enjoy it later on in life is to have parents that read to them when they're very young. Can you explain why that is? Is it because our brains get acclimated to the sound of the written word? How does that work? Yeah, so there's a lot of research behind that and even building vocabulary with your young children before they can actually look at the letters and identify them. You become language rich and so your children will hear more words, hear different words, thus understand them. They'll be able to connect words with pictures and sounds will start to become familiar for them. And so all of that is activated early on. And you probably hear people reading books to their babies when they're still pregnant, even because there's research around hearing those sounds. And so it's important that kids are surrounded with books. Reading is a part of everyday life. As adults, we demonstrate and model a love for reading so that kids see it as a fun task and not just, I have to do this for school. You know, I'm doing this in the real world and I can pick books that are interesting to me. So it's important. And it's important to take that time as busy as parents are to take that time, even if it's right before bed or however it works once a day to, to do that with their children. It makes a huge difference. 
would it be helpful for parents if they have small children, if they can't read to them in the moment because maybe they're washing the dishes or whatever, if they found like an audio book at the library that was appropriate for a child to have the audio book going, would that be good? Yeah. I mean, that's a once in a while solution. I wouldn't make that your everyday strategy. We don't want to send the message that I'm too busy to read, but I need you to read. But we do want kids to hear different types of fluency. And we want them to hear reading that's as smooth as talking in language. So speaking and reading connect. But yeah, definitely any way you can do it makes a huge difference. So turning to maybe some technology that children are using these days, there's a lot being said about children's attention perhaps being distracted by mobile devices. But are mobile devices also helpful, let's say iPads or other types of tablets when children are little and they're learning to read, can they also be useful? So they can be with appropriate increments of time. You know, young children have short attention spans. And so it would be appropriate to do 10, 15 minutes here and there, not necessarily long periods of time and not big chunks of their day. And then to be selective is important because there's a lot of tools out there where the vendors or the company claims to be the best and it may not be. And so it's important to look at what it is and see if it actually is doing what it claims or if that aligns to the developmental science around reading. And there are some tools that are helpful. There's nothing that can replace a good teacher. No, no technology will ever replace a good teacher teaching children to read, but there are tools out there and there might be apps that help you build your letter sound knowledge or breaking sounds up or breaking syllables up. Anything like that could be turned into a digital activity, but not the whole picture of learning to read. I see. So does the Akron Public Schools then have a recommended list of apps or technologies then that they pass along to parents to to help them kind of decode this and figure out which is which? So because this is our transition year, and I actually came into this position in August, we are working on some more building resources for both schools and parents, because there are a lot of tools out there and we need to align the resources and the supplemental tools that we purchase to, to the belief and the theory and the strategy at the district level. So a piece of that will be to provide some suggestions to parents, but because it's an ongoing list, we would have to be able to add to that and you know keep a website going or something. So those are, those are the pieces that are in the works. This is our first year of implementing this new curriculum. Our priority was really focused on getting teachers trained and getting them the support they needed in the classrooms. And teachers have been sharing a lot with parents. So now we will look at building district resources that support that as well. So as we summarize and wrap up, would it be accurate for me to say that the Akron Public Schools always used phonics to a certain degree, but now you are kind of reigniting a new interest in it and using it more? Would that be accurate to say? Well, I wasn't here, so I can't give you a ton of information around what they did before, but I do have to say in education, particularly in urban education, it's common that teachers taught phonics. It may have been disconnected from the curriculum. It may have been a separate strategy. Now it's comprehensive and totally aligned. And I think we know more about what skills certain students need to learn. And so at particular grade levels, these are the sequence that is followed. And so that is done in a more systematic, explicit way through the use of these programs. I can assume that teachers along the way have have taught phonics. I I don't want to ever think that 
we didn't teach phonics and we only taught kids by sight because that's not what good teachers do. And like I said, the standards when they first came out had had phonics skills spelled out in them. So I know that teachers did teach that. And if you think about a common kindergarten classroom years ago, they always taught the letter names and the letter sounds. They may not have moved at the pace that this recommendation is for this curriculum, but kids always learn their letters and sounds in kindergarten. It's as you get into that decoding and stuff and the use of text, it becomes different. So we're, we're moving away from leveled text to text that's decodable for new readers and then applying the decoding skills in additional text that is difficult, say using higher academic vocabulary. Is there anything that you might want to add on this topic that I might've forgotten to ask? No, I, I loved your questions. I think this is a great time for parents and schools to come together and really support our kids as early as possible. And we know, and we even know from our own data that we can do the right things and help kids move in the right direction and give them a chance for huge success in life. So we appreciate the conversation. Okay. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's been a pleasure.